Hi, I'm Ashley Cooley, a birth baby and sleep specialist and mom of three. There's so much information out there, right? This show is dedicated to helping you clear out the noise so you can figure out what will work best for your baby and your family. If you're looking to learn more about your baby, gain more confidence in your parenting, and get as much sleep as you can through it all, you've come to the right place. Bringing up baby is about to get a little easier. Today we're talking all about your baby's teeth because we don't talk about their teeth much, do we? When do babies typically get teeth? What should we do to protect those teeth? Because yes, even though they will fall out eventually, you still want to make sure you're taking good care of those pearly whites. So to help us navigate the world of baby teeth, I connected with my dentist, Dr. Trish Brady. She also sees our daughters and we were all in there recently for cleanings and checkups. Even little Miss Mabel, who's just three and a half years old. But I have a feeling a lot of you will be particularly interested in this episode because Dr. Brady and I are also talking about soothers and thumb sucking. A lot of babies are using one of these to help them sleep or be comforted, and that's totally fine. My own kids did this. But when it comes to their teeth and development of their mouth and jaw, there are some things you'll want to think about which we're going to get into. So let's do it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Brady. Dr. Brady, thanks for joining me today to talk about little baby teeth. I'm excited. My pleasure. I'm, I'm quite excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. So Dr. Brady is actually my dentist and the girl's dentist uh, working at Spring Garden Dentistry in Halifax. But uh, I'm really glad that we're getting the chance to do this for the podcast in particular, because I find we don't really talk about teeth for the little babies very much. Uh, I, I, in particular, in working with people at the prenatal level, with sleep consulting, uh, around feeding. We're talking about all the other things, but teeth send up. I don't know, maybe we just assume because they're going to fall out anyway, that we don't have to pay much attention to them, but I think we kind of do it. So that's why you're here. Uh, so Dr. Brady, can you start by telling us when parents should expect baby teeth to appear and what they should do, or if there's anything they shouldn't do when that happens? Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely a, a range of what is, you know, considered normal for when uh, first teeth will come in. Um, but in general, it's usually around six months. Um, certainly see uh, earlier than that. Some There is conditions where babies are actually born with a tooth or two. Um, have you seen that at all? I, I do actually have one patient that did have that. Um, I, I think I, I, I wasn't there you know, she was, she was just born with a tooth. I don't think I saw her until she was either six months or uh, a year, maybe even, but so I didn't mm. see the tooth when she was just born, but um, it, it does happen. And I would mm. say there's, you know, a lot of dentists that don't see it, but we certainly do know about a, you know, a neonatal tooth. Um, mm. And then I have seen cases where parents will bring in a child, you know, even beyond one and they haven't had a tooth yet. So um, mm-hmm. in, in the case that I did see of that, eventually they did get their teeth. They were just a little delayed, but in general, most times it's around six months of age. So, but it can be, it's usually the two lower, uh, incisor teeth that will be the first to erupt. But again, that can be, you know, variable if you'll sometimes see another tooth come in first, but usually around six months in the, and the lower incisor teeth. Right. I have, I have three kids and they all had teeth at different times. I've had one, she got them right around six months. 
the other was past a year. Maybe you were talking about us. (laughs) We were the ones like, oh, she doesn't have any yet, but here we are. Uh, But soon they came soon after. And then our third was somewhere in the middle. You have three kids as well, right? Do you find, I mean, yep. all their teeth must have I, come in differently too. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, my, my kids are 12, 10 and seven now. So I think that if, that they were in range from like four months to maybe eight months or so, but um, yeah, they were generally all within that around that six month mark. So, so there's quite a range, I guess, is what we're saying. Yep. A pretty good range of normal here. So Um, I feel like there's been maybe debates, not the right word, but there's been some change a little bit in the messaging, I think around, and particularly in Nova Scotia, uh, the dental association, maybe you can shed some light on fluoridated toothpaste and Mm. and whatnot, or maybe that's just around here. I'm just curious. So when the teeth do appear, whether that's four months, six months, a year, are they meant to brush twice a day with the fluoridated toothpaste or with Nanon, or is that a choice? Do we yeah. Have, so, yeah. so great question. And this is one that I, um, you do sort of have to use your own personal judgment on this. And it, and I do find that there is mixed messaging. Like I, when, when I was going through dental school, we were always told, you know, fluoridated toothpaste, great at any age. Um, you know, as long as you're using an appropriate sized amount and, and then at some point along the road, um, the NSDA and the CDA, the Canadian Dental Association, had sort of recommended avoiding fluoridated toothpaste uh, up until age two. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then actually just recently when I was uh, making sure I was up to date on everything for this podcast, I was on the um, American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry website, and they are recommending fluoridated toothpaste right from the get-go when teeth first come in. Um, and you should be using a really small smear, like a grain of rice sized amount until about two. And then at age two, you can up that to a pea sized amount. So is that because they're expected, sorry, is that because they're expected to like be able to spit, I guess, more of it out. So they're ingesting less. Yeah. I I wouldn't even really say it too. They're really expected to spit. I mean, I would say probably, you know, a little (laughs) bit older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you'd really have to be like the amount, first of all, kids fluoridated toothpaste does have a lower concentration of fluoride compared to adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever your child is able to spit on their own and you're confident that they're, um, that they're not swallowing a lot of it, then it's definitely safe to start using the adult fluoridated toothpaste. Um, but you'd really have to be swallowing like a significant amount of like tubes of toothpaste in order to get any sort of fluorosis or fluoride toxicity. Um, so if you're just using that appropriate, either pea sized or grain of rice sized amount, depending on their age, then you're going to be getting the benefit out of the fluoride. And the the benefit is that it um, it hard, it sort of hardens the enamel surface of the tooth or it makes it less, uh, more resistant to tooth decay. So Mm. that's why dentists are famous for loving fluoride and and having fluoridated water and whatnot. So, right. Right. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for clarifying that. Cause it is, I I always love to say too, like these are parental choices, but it's important to Mm -hmm. know the ins and outs and then you guys can figure out. Yeah. And if you're using, if you're choosing to use a non fluoridated toothpaste, I mean, that's fine. You're, um, you're still getting the benefit of the, you know, the mechanical brushing of, you know, food and debris and plaque off the teeth. You're just not applying that topical fluoride 
um, to the enamel surfaces. And that's the same rationale when you go to the dentist and get your teeth cleaned and they put fluoride on at the end. It's right. just to, you know, apply, you're not um, ingesting that fluoride and taking it in. It's more just a topical effect, which is very safe. So, right. Right. But also something they make a choice, right? That's yeah, which is absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, when is it that they should see ba- like babies go to the dentist if they're expected around six months? Like, is it timeline from since they first got teeth or an age thing or yeah. What, what's, yep. and what's happening at that first appointment too? Yeah. So, um, definitely the latest you'd want to wait is like the first birthday is when we would want to see, um, kids buy. And the rationale for that is because most kids will get teeth around six months. We want to be, have them being seen by the dentist, um, within six months of the eruption of their first tooth. So, you know, if a tooth comes in at two months, then you could, you know, by that guideline, you could see them six months later at eight months. Um, and, and then we want to, even if you have no teeth at, at, um, 12 months, it's usually, just even good to get them in to assess. And if we need to do a referral anywhere uh, or just go over, um, you know, over some things that we want to go over with parents to set up good, good, healthy habits um, for as their kids are growing. So, so typically, and I, and I do get um, sometimes people will ask me, well, what if my dentist won't see kids until age three? Mm. I used to get that a lot more. Um, I, I found that when we were in dental school, we weren't, that, that see, see the child by 12 months of age wasn't as much of a, a thing. It was more like the thought, thought process was, oh, they're not going to be very cooperative until around three, so might as well delay um, seeing them until three. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's certainly not the case anymore. And um, if you do have a, a dentist that, you know, is an office that you go to that they are not willing to see your kids before um, three, then I always just say, well, you can just call or find another dentist. There's lots of dentists that will, um, see kids at, at one. So, um, typically what we'll do in that first visit, there's not a whole lot of, you know, dental care, or we're not going to be doing a cleaning of the teeth at that point. It's more of a, um, parent education, uh, session to kind of go over the things like fluoride, um, oral hygiene and um, dietary and snacking habits. Uh, and we will also do a quick exam because there certainly is some kids at um, anywhere from six months to a year or even beyond that will develop uh, early childhood uh, caries or decay or cavities on their teeth. Um, and we want to be able to screen as early as possible for, for those um, uh, conditions so that we can again do a referral if need be to the pediatric dentists at the IWK or in the community um, and then go over things with the parents to make sure we're setting up for good habits to prevent any, any further decay or problems. So, so this might sound like a silly question, but it's, I know, I know it's been on people's minds. I've had it on my mind at one point too, like, because they are the baby teeth. And because they are, I mean, of course they're going to have them for a few years still. So we do want to take care of them for those few years, but does mm-hmm. it have anything to do too with how the adult teeth might appear later or anything like that? Like a, the, the main reasons, I guess, for really taking care of their teeth is just so that they can use them as they get older until those adu- adult teeth come in. Yeah, sense? absolutely. Yeah. So there's a few different um, reasons why primary teeth are important. 
Um, number one is they're using them to kids are using them to speak and chew and eat and of course have healthy nutrition. If they're if a child has a large cavity in a primary tooth or an abscess, you know, an infected tooth, um, then that can cause a, a significant amount of pain, even if you can't, even if they don't have a big infection like a swollen face, which certainly can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that can certainly affect kids wanting to be able to eat. Um, it can affect their sleep at night if they're waking up in pain, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're just general overall health. So awesome. aside from, I mean, that's you know, not just awesome, the, but yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Good information. Good. Yeah. Um, but aside from all of those things, like sometimes I'll have, you know, a, a child who's, who's uh, does have an abscess tooth and it needs to be removed. And, um, parents will ask me, well, why, you know, they're going to get another tooth. Why does it matter that they're, they're, um, baby tooth, they don't have one baby tooth. They've still got lots of other ones and there's no more infection or pain or anything now that the tooth's gone. Mm. Um, but what can happen is if, is that we can get space loss with, um, for adult teeth to erupt. So if you have a, a primary tooth that's lost early for whatever reason, it's not even necessarily from decay. Um, then a, you a fall I always, off the jungle gym. Yeah, <laughs> I know yep. it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, then, uh, I always let parents know that there's a potential for the baby teeth and then the adult teeth as they're coming in to sort of shift and move around and can cause, you know, the adult teeth to not erupt in a normal, uh, functioning pattern. And then, you know, that means they're going to have to have, you know, more invasive orthodontics down the road to create space, that kind of thing. So, uh, so there is things you can do. We can make little spacers. Um, for if you have to lose, if you lost a baby tooth early. Um, but yeah, all these things are, are good reasons why to keep your primary teeth as, as long as you can. Right. Stay on top of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So guys, these podcast episodes are great and all, and I love getting the chance to share some evidence-based practical and non-judgmental information to help you along your parenting journey. But now there's a way to get even more. Introducing the Bringing Up Baby Membership Community, a place where we continue the conversation from these episodes, where you can access incredibly helpful resources like my new baby sleep guide and so many more. And it's also a place where you'll make new connections and can participate in live education sessions every week on a variety of baby-related topics. Yes, lots of them are sleep-related. Trust me, the value of this membership is like no other. To find out more and to sign up, visit birthbabysleep.ca slash BBS dash community, but we'll link to that in the show notes. See you there. You mentioned something earlier too that I, I want to talk a bit more about because we're when it comes to seeing the dentist around the first time, maybe it's around a year and you're saying it's very educational. I remember finding that first appointment very educational. I remember thinking like, what are we doing at the first appointment exactly? Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was very helpful because they're, they are eating typically more solid foods whenever that time comes. Um, perhaps they're still getting bottles or milk overnight, breast milk, whatever that may be. So what, what changes in that regard as they get older, does things change and what kind of, what's the education around that piece? If you don't mind sharing yeah. Yeah. So for, you're kind of talking about for diet, dietary, where diet comes in as far as it can yeah. um, impact tooth decay and sort of the health of the teeth. So, um, so the biggest thing for, you know, kind of toddler age or kids that are, are on, um, 
uh, on solids and, and not just nursing or on bottles um, is that if you've got kids that are frequent snackers or grazers, um, that's when we can see more likely chance to develop tooth decay. So, so cavities are, are basically ca caused when you have, everybody has bacteria in their mouth. So it's the acid that's produced by the bacteria that causes tooth decay or a cavity. Um, so in order to get a cavity, you do have to have bacteria present and you have to have uh, food or substrate for that bacteria to feed on so that they can thrive. And as they feed on that, back, on that, um, that plaque or um, food, then it produces the acid and that's what causes uh, cavities. So uh, we all, of course, most of us know that high sugar foods um, can cause cavities, but there's also just carbohydrates or starchy foods. So toddlers that often eat a lot of, you know, cracker type things or, you know, little, you know, things like Cheerios that you don't think of as but necessarily so, unhealthy. Right. But they're yeah. so easy for them to eat yeah, and very yeah. common. Yeah. So if you have a, if your child is sort of walking around the house with a, with easy access to, you know, a little bowl of Cheerios or crackers or something throughout the day, then that bacteria is kind of constantly getting a snack to snack on. And then they're producing acid throughout the whole day, as opposed to if they're sitting down and having a, a meal or a snack, then, mm. you know, they might produce that acid for about 30 minutes and then it goes away. So, oh, um, yeah. so that's why, you know, it's important not to have them um, either using like a sippy cup with milk or juice or anything with sugar in it uh, throughout the day as well. That can be kind of a high risk um, uh, for causing tooth decay as well. Interesting. So how, how does that apply then if there are still some babies that are say being nursed overnight or given yeah. bottles through the night? Um, does, I mean, there's sugars, carbohydrates there, right? So absolutely. Um, what's the message kind of around, around that? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I find, um, uh, a lot of people, parents aren't aware of the risks of, um, either bottles or breastfeeding throughout the night. So the big, I, I, we're all dentists are always big proponents of, you know, nursing and breastfeeding your kid or bottle feeding, whatever's working for you. Um, and, and basically through the big thing that most people know already is that putting a baby to bed with a bottle is risky for tooth decay. What, what the rationale for that is, is that if the baby's having a bottle as they're falling asleep, they're probably not swallowing all of the milk or formula that's in the bottle and it sort of pools in their mouth and sits on the teeth all night. And of course, milk and formula both have sugars in them and they can cause that that's a snack for that bacteria to feed on all day and all night. Mm, um, mm. Breast milk is a little bit different. So breast milk is not cariogenic. It doesn't cause cavities. Um, but what we can see is when kids are old enough, you know, that six months age when they're starting to go on solids, but they're still probably nursing a bit at night or mm -hmm. even during the day, uh, mm -hmm. what can happen at night is if that food, the food that they've consumed throughout the day, if it's not a hundred percent removed by brushing before they go to bed, um, if they're being nursed to fall asleep, or if you're, uh, you know, co-sleeping with your baby and they're kind of latching on all night. And then that, that breast milk is pooling again in the, in the mouth. And there's a little bit of food mixed in it. That's when you kind of see the same effect as putting, you know, putting a, a bottle, a baby to bed with a bottle. 
Mm. So the the good question is, is when when is it okay to not um, or when does the when do we see the problem happen when when because uh, it doesn't you know lots of people nurse their kids beyond six months you know into a year and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We have a general rule of thumb that by about twelve months is when we sort of see that um, time period happen. If you're nursing in the night, kind of constantly. Uh, and they're, they're falling asleep with on the breast and that milk is pooling beyond mm-hmm. 12 months of age. That's sort of a ge- good general rule of thumb of when we can see it. So see the oh, tooth decay happen. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's a very complex um, issue with lots of reasons why the decay might occur. Yeah. Um, so that's why there's so many, you know, factors that go into it that you just have to kind of use common sense. And if you're, if you're a mom that's nursing your kid, through the night beyond 12 months of age and you're going in for a quick feed and they're falling asleep, you know, after they've fed and they're awake, mm-hmm. um, that, and they've swallowed the milk, you're probably not going to get any issues with early childhood caries, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. So it's that, that constant pooling of it, which like, yeah. as you said, it, it, it's a complex issue from, mm-hmm. from the, the dentist point of view, as you said, and it, I think it's a complex issue just in general, because like you said, so many babies still want to, and so many families are still nursing or feeding overnight. And like, we don't consider those things necessarily. So it is good to yeah. know. Um, it's it also is a good, good enough reason to do some sleep training at a particular yeah. point. If you need to actually, that's going to go in my, in my flyers next time. Yeah. <laughs> that helps the teeth too. No, but really not, yeah. not to say that everybody has to do that. They don't, but it's, it's really just great to be aware of this, that this can happen. Um, so many families do, as we said, as we've been saying, will nurse through the night, uh, or provide bottles or, or do those kinds of things. Um, and, and, there may not be an issue. So it's not like it's going to happen mm-hmm. with everybody. How big, like do genetics play a big role when it comes to teeth and getting those dental caries or yeah, do they? So we definitely do. That's a great question. Cause you'll always get all the people that say, you know, come in and say, well, I had, so- I have soft teeth. My mom had soft oh, teeth, yeah. you know, it's okay. a genetic thing. Yeah. Um, I don't, we genetics always play a role, you know, in everything a little bit. But the biggest thing I would say I see is that it depends on the type of bacteria you have in your mouth as well, which tends to kind of be passed down in families. Mm. So of course, when kids are are first born they're they don't have any bacteria in their mouth yet. Um, And oftentimes there will be the bacteria will be passed on to them from their mom, you know, Mm -hmm. parents, siblings, Mm -hmm. hugging, kissing them, whatnot. Um, so if your natural kind of flora in your mouth is um, contains more bacteria that causes cavities, then you're going to be someone who ca- who is more likely to get cavities, you know, throughout their life. And of course, oral hygiene and diet plays a role as well. Um, and those habits do kind of get passed down in, in families as well. Um, so we t- will tend to see, you know, as adults, I'll see people that you know, families that tend to be more likely to, to get cavities versus some other families that are more likely to get periodontal disease or, or uh, gum right. disease issues. Um, so whether or not it's genetics versus the type of bacterial flora in their mouth or their habits, they, they all kind of play a role. So interesting. Okay. Very cool. So surround yourself with 
people that have good flora. Good yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a dating profile questions um yeah. okay yeah, exactly. so one last thing I do want to chat about before uh we go because it's something that came up in my family twice for two different reasons uh and it comes up with a lot of families as well I know because some lots of babies have soothers or they might choose to suck their thumb and we've seen I've seen <laughs> as my kids have grown so my firstborn who just turned nine the other day which is crazy but she was <laughs> she she started with a soother switched to her thumb when she was around seven eight months old and I remember thinking oh this is great because she's <laughs> always going to have her thumb and it's now yeah. she's sleeping beautifully and it was wonderful but then you start thinking how are we going to take this away at some point because it's clearly become a, a crutch, a comfort, a, a thing as she does. And I yep. did it too. I understand. Um, yep. but that was definitely a different scenario when, when we did get rid of that. And that's, that's, that's a whole other podcast episode, <laughs> yeah. uh, but my middle child was the soother and she loved that very much. So Stella stopped sucking your thumb or we were able to help her stop doing that just after age five. Mm -hmm. Frankie was just around two and a half or a little bit over when we got rid of her soother and she had, well, they both had changes with their mouth. We could tell mm -hmm. the jaw, the teeth, the shape of the teeth, Frankie with the open bite because of the soother. Mm -hmm. It was even off to the side a little bit. We knew exactly where she liked to place it yeah. in her mouth. So, and it was incredible how just after maybe two weeks or so of, of them not using those things that, wow, the change that their mouth went through. But so there's got to be a time though, where I feel like there's just stuff to talk about here. So first, yeah, definitely. I want to talk yeah. about this soother thumb sucking stuff. How does it affect their adult teeth coming in? Um, is it? is that the same for all kids? Like, does it go back just so quickly, no matter when they get rid of it or when if they, they stop, do? Yeah. Yeah. Just, can you talk a little bit about, about those? Yeah. Yep. So definitely thumb habit and soothers can have an effect on, um, the way your teeth and jaws form and, uh, develop. Um, so like you mentioned, like the classic open bite, you know, from where your thumb goes in, in the mouth and kind of pushes the upper teeth up and out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the lower teeth get pushed, you know, down and back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and the same thing with the soother, like, it's almost like there's that little spot where the soother or the thumb went. So, mm -hmm. so if you continued that, those habits on, um, into when you were finished growing, then yeah, it would stay like that. You couldn't, you're, you're finished growing your jaws and your teeth aren't going to come into a natural, um, uh, position. So, so at some point we do want to discourage these habits. So soothers are, are a little easier to get rid of because you can just take away the, the soother, or, you know, give them to the soother fairy, whatever you, you tell yes. your child. Yes. Which um, was very helpful to do that. I always find yeah. you either do it early or, or, and maybe not introduce it or help them with that earlier if you want, or wait yeah. till they're older when they can go to a soother fairy or we're giving yeah. them to the babies and they don't have to know that covids are yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> but that, and then the that thumb, talking the thumb to them is, helps yeah and the thumb is of course harder to get get rid of so you oh my gosh you yes. might have to wait a little bit longer until your child's old enough to understand and and um why they need to stop sucking their thumb so so if you again if you go on to um the academy uh, american academy of pediatric dentistry they do recommend um getting rid of a soother or thumb habit by age three. 
Mm. Now, I mean, I, I don't know how that's going to go over with a three-year-old trying to explain to them why they need to stop sucking their thumb. Um, I, I think it's yeah. a little bit early on the early side if you've got a thumb habit. Um, but if, you're continue, if you, your child is continuing to suck their thumb beyond around age five, then there is concern that the teeth and the jaws aren't going to kind of go back to where they should be. And, and some people mm-hmm. do have a naturally just have an open bite the way they're developed, even regardless if they have a thumb habit or not. So some of it can be just the way the jaws are coming together. But certainly you do see if a kid has a thumb habit beyond, you know, into their, you know, eight, nine, 10, then they're probably going to need some form of orthodontics to correct their uh, malocclusion or their, their issue with their bite. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so it, the Academy of, uh, American Academy of Pediatric Dentists says, you know, as long as the earlier you can get rid of it, the better when they don't need it to soothe themselves to sleep anymore, which is kind of around age three. Um, But beyond up to age five is kind of when you have that window before it's going to kind of naturally close back on its own once they get rid of the habit. So, yeah, I remember taking like Stella had we had a dentist appointment with you right around that time when she was turning five and the conversation that you were able to have with her mm-hmm. and she was able to have with you and understand like, cause we had been talking to her about it beforehand at the time we brought it up to you. You were able to talk to her about it. And that really stuck with her, that conversation. So it was like, we, I remember seeing you on a Monday and that Friday, yeah. we like took that week to build off of that appointment. Yeah. And that Friday was when we started the process of helping her sleep without it. And because that's hard, that's where they, they pop it in and they're not even aware yeah. they're half asleep. I know. Um, so and we like do I said, have like, yeah, no, we have sometimes ahead. have like tools that you can, you know, I, I tell parents sometimes, well, you could try to put like a mitten on their hand or a glove, something that stays on. And that's what we did. Did you guys do that? That's what we did. I mean, it helped. It was winter. It was colder. And like, uh, but that is what we did. And we did that for a good long while. Um, But yeah, that, like I said, that's literally going to have to be, well, I have a a blog post about it actually, because a lot of people have asked, because I mean, it is hard to think about how to help them get rid of the thumb. But anyway, yeah, um, this has been really helpful. This whole conversation. Um, my, like I said, Mabel and I will be showing up at your office this week and, uh, Mabel where she's three and a half, like she's turning four this summer and she hasn't been in to see you yet. And the large part of that was COVID related. Yep. Uh, yep. so we're looking forward to this appointment. Luckily she's got lots of space in, in her mouth. That's which good. Yeah. Not we all like of my kids have spaces. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, that'll, that'll be interesting. Stay tuned for that, but thank you yep. so much, Dr. Brady for joining us. It's been a really helpful conversation and you've cleared up a lot of questions, I think for all of us. So thanks. Thanks. Great. No, I was happy to do it. Uh, anytime. Looking for more? Check out birthbabysleep.ca where you'll find prenatal classes, postpartum and new baby resources, and sleep support during the childhood years. You'll also find me on Facebook and Instagram at birthbabysleep. It would be awesome if you followed us wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you can, leave a review or a rating, which goes a long way for helping others to find us. That's all for now. I'm Ashley Cooley, and we'll see you back here next time.